well, wouldn't it be nice? You know, well, wouldn't it be nices? Don't generally pay the bills. When you get down to it, it's like, wouldn't it be nice if we met our customers' needs? That's the second part of that sentence, right? Instead of like, wouldn't it be nice if my idea made it out into the world? That's the product that never makes any money. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. All right, welcome back to the podcast, Boss Man. Are you audible? I am audible. Here I am. We are going to talk about today five insights that we've had from running our new company for the past, I would say, six months. Six months is a time frame where we've been taking dynamite jobs seriously. Do you think that's fair? Well, in the beginning, you just don't know, right? And I think we still just don't know. We started to pour some more gasoline on it, started to put some more resources into it, started to get some more yeah. information. So, you know, the Seth Godin dip, we're still like very much falling off a cliff. Yeah. I mean, we're not even in the dip, dude. We're in early days, not making much money, trying to figure out what's what. We are going to share some five of the what's, so to speak, five things that we've realized about starting a productized service from scratch. And after we do that, we're going to talk about three thoughts on how the remote hiring process, so how you're building your teams, is totally effed, okay? There are a lot of problems that we're seeing in the hiring process. Not necessarily clear on how to profitably solve those problems, boss man. It's certainly clear how entrepreneurs are getting a raw deal in terms of building their remote teams. So we're going to share some of those insights. And at the end of the episode... We're going to share dynamite jobs by the numbers. So some insights into the remote hiring space, and we'll give you specific numbers, including revenue, our goals, other interesting stats having to do with the business of dynamite jobs, which if you don't know yet, you want to check out the reference of what we're talking about. We're talking about dynamitejobs.co. It looks like a job board when you go there, but it's really morphing into more of a hiring service, something like a recruiter on demand. So that's what we're going to get stuck into today. Got a lot of requests, boss man. The audience wants us to share more about what we're doing. So that's what we're going to do here today. Okay. The first insight, Ian, is that the most profitable marketplace that we've observed isn't the one that we're good at serving. And I think this is a typical tension in new businesses and one that has been a weekly conversation with our team is we look at these larger tech companies that are established and how much money they spend on remote hiring. It's a very big marketplace, addressable market. But we kind of just suck at helping them right now. And it's kind of a bummer, you know, because you kind of look at it and you're like, well, what are our options here? Our options are to kind of change the way we operate to change our experience and our knowledge and try to build something that addresses the most profitable segment's concerns, or to stay focused where we're good and to hope that our marketplace eventually becomes bigger, more profitable, 
and a viable long-term strategy for us? Remote tech jobs, remote sales jobs, obviously, these people have been working remote for decades now. That's not that obvious. I should point that out directly, though, Ian, is one of the things I've discovered personally is that sales jobs and technology jobs have been remote for over a decade. I think decades. Exactly. So you've got a whole industry that's there serving those people. And now what you've seen over the past five years, especially, especially over the last five months, it feels that like this is really heating up that basically every functional area of a company is getting broken down and going remote. And that's operations, that's marketing, and that's customer support, and everything to do with all those things. And that's basically where we're situated in the market. That's where we're good. That's where we're helping people. And the reality too, Ian, is that smaller companies are the ones that are experimenting with this format. So it's the bigger companies that are like, yeah, if our technology or salespeople want to be remote, that's okay. But of course, we're not going to let HR be remote, you know? And now the smaller companies that are, you know, less experienced, they have less money to invest. They're the ones saying, hey, because we have less money, why don't we experiment with remote HR, you know? And so they come to Dynamite Jobs. And so that's a bit of a tension that I think every entrepreneur faces is like, am I going to go after the big money or am I going to bet on a buy low strategy that the number one indicator of a small business's success is simply tracking with the market? And so my bet, Ian, is that what we're good at will be worth more in a few years' time than it's worth now. We started hiring and working remotely like 10 years ago. And we're still weirdos at that point, right? We're still weirdos. Now it's starting to become somewhat mainstream, like, oh, we have a satellite office, or oh, this person lives there. In our world, whole companies are remote now with hundreds of employees. They're just not on the front of the Wall Street Journal yet. That's the bet that we're making, is that basically this isn't a trend. This is something that's going to stay. And there's a lot of different reasons why we're betting on that. I think cost is one reason. I think finding the best people. There's a number of different reasons why we're betting on this, but... We see it. Yeah, we have an intuition too. We see it and we lived it. Exactly. That's not to say that we're super confident about this. I mean, we've had many debates in the company about why don't we build something for these people? And I think there's two legitimate different approaches to building a business. The first is to be a bit of a disruptor, right? You look at like the banking system and you're like, man, wouldn't it be great if like traditional banks had like this new technology that allowed them to serve their clients better? And then you go build that. The other approach is to basically tie your sleigh to a comet. And that's like, and say, oh, screw the banks. I'm going to build something for Bitcoin. And essentially, that's the tension I'm seeing here is that it's tough because, you know, no one knows if crypto is ever really going to take off. But you sure can look at those banks and say, man, there's a lot of money there. And the same is true every day that we see in our business. It's like, man, there sure is a lot of money in these like entrenched tech companies. But we just don't have a path towards disrupting what's going on there right now. And also, I'll point out that these established industries like tech recruiting for remote jobs, they're also the most competitive because they've been around the longest. We're in a less competitive marketplace because it is more immature. And I think there's some advantage to getting in early on that. And, you know, the disadvantage is like sometimes things like this never work out. 
All right. So the second insight, Ian, that we've had about running a productized service or a new business, you could say, for six months now, is that paid customers are much more motivated and are just better to work with than customers who get it for free. Now, is this really a new insight, Dan? I'll tell you what, because it's one thing, Ian, to see it out there. It's another thing to feel it in your bones and to see it and to experience it. And it is a business cliche. It is an entrepreneurship cliche. It's something you've heard on this show before, that the behavior you're going to see from paid customers is so much different from that of people who get your services or products for free. The reason that this is sort of uniquely apparent to us in this particular business is Dynamite Circle members receive Dynamite Job services for free. So Dynamite Circle is our private community of business owners. A lot of them are looking to hire remote. That's right. And so we provide these services to them for free because they're members. And we feel like that's a wonderful benefit to them. And we get the benefit of their wonderful jobs and we get to learn from them and win-win. Now that's all good. And they don't have to be you know, model clients or whatever. But the problem is how the process treats the candidates who are applying for the jobs is really important as well because these candidates are an enormous asset to Dynamite Jobs. The whole thing is having great people ready at hand who get it, who can plug and play into your business. If we start treating them poorly by say, I mean, there's nothing a candidate hates more than being sent to some weird application form, having to spend a lot of time there, and then not knowing whether they're even going to hear back from anybody. Or not having it be a serious opportunity, like, oh, I just thought I'd like throw up a job post. It's Friday afternoon. You know, I think I need this person. Exactly. From the entrepreneurship side, we see it all the time. It's like, you know, you put up a job post and you get all these crappy applicants who like didn't even change their cover letter to your company name or whatever. Well, it's the same thing on the other side of the marketplace, which is, you know, you're applying to all these companies and you really want to know what the status is. And so, yeah, it's been interesting to see in that there is a, an enormous difference between, you know, those who've invested money and those who haven't. And so, you know, the takeaway I think for people that are starting new businesses is that you can't always draw rules and principles from those in the freemium customer class if you're if you have a freemium business model where you're giving away parts of your product for free or in people that you're say beta testing or asking them for feedback it's just so much different the behavior when you actually put a buy now button on it it's like when you're at Trader Joe's you ever see this person you're at Trader Joe's they have the like the free samples and like the woman she takes it and she's like it's kind of salty you know and you're like <laughs> it's free like just don't buy it fine get out of here, you know? A lot of the feedback too that you're going to get from people that aren't paying isn't necessarily the best feedback that you can get. So, you know, for us, Dan, doing this for free is like we're getting practice. But I'm really excited to turn up the knob a bit and start charging people because it also makes us, on the other side, take our product a little bit more seriously, right? Like if the guy that takes your sample and says it's too salty and the next guy says it's too salty, like you're going to change it if they paid for it, right? If they didn't pay for it and you're just like, ah, I don't know, that's just what like came to mind for them during that one time. <laughs> like, I don't know how serious I'm going to take that feedback, but if they're actually paying for it, it's like, well, I'm not going to buy this again because it's too salty. Okay, time to change the ingredients. Yeah. And you know, it's hard enough to get people to take the free sample sometimes though, Ian. 
that's the rub here, you know? Not after me. <laughs> I will cruise up there. All right. Number three insight, Ian. Customers aren't valuing what we thought they would. Can I get an amen if anybody out there in the audience can relate to this? One of the things that we've found, we really thought that entrepreneurs are time-stretched. In fact, that's why entrepreneurs are hiring. So if we provided entrepreneurs with an opportunity to save time in the hiring process, that they would love it. Not to say that that isn't of some interest, but it isn't of primary interest, particularly to the target market that we're focusing on. So it's sort of interesting when you, you're on these phone calls and you're talking with people and you're kind of doing these pitches and it's like you have a tuning fork, you know, and you're starting to get a sense for what they really value. And this is important because what you're trying to do is turn those sales conversations into marketing materials. And so you have to find a way to simply describe what you're doing. And in the early days, we were saying, oh, we'll save you time. And it turns out that just people don't care. What they want is the right person in their company. Yep. And so it's such a high value deal, particularly we're dealing with founders, that they want to invest time in it. Now, where they're really compelled to spend time is, is still an issue we're ironing out because, for example, they don't want to spend a bunch of time writing their job ad. That's clear. Right. But they do want to spend a lot of time evaluating the appropriate candidates and they don't necessarily want to outsource that process or at least they don't want to outsource it to us yet, which would make sense. I mean, a new company, how could you trust these upstart? How could you trust us? We're young. How could you trust them? People don't mind investing time, like you said, Dan, but one of the things that we offered or we started to offer in the beginning was like, we'll find someone in seven days. Well, not only did that become impossible for us, it became impossible for them too. Like they didn't want that to happen so quickly. And I think that like some of these things, they have like a natural rhythm. They don't need to be disrupted, especially like if you're trying to change something that doesn't need to be changed. So for example, like half the products that we designed in our previous life, Dan, like they didn't actually need to exist. They were just like what we thought needed to exist. And it's the same thing with like cutting down the hiring process. We're like, well, wouldn't it be nice, you know? Well, wouldn't it be nice is like, don't generally pay the bills. Like <laughs> when you get down to it, it's like, wouldn't it be nice if we met our customers' needs? That's the second part of that sentence, right? Instead of like, wouldn't it be nice if my idea made it out into the world? That's the product that never makes any money. Interesting. I do think there's still a possibility for this in the future that we could, you know, you push this button and it's like, boom, magically Dynamite Jobs produces this perfect person for your company that's like ready for you and, and like understands what you're up to and they got the right skill set. I honestly think like we kind of have that capability, but it's not really something that people want to invest in just yet for a variety of reasons that I think are kind of obvious in retrospect, but I think we can still do that to earn trust with our clients. So like here are our top two people in our candidate database. I'll tell you a secret saucy way we do that. One of the ways we do that, which is we leverage runner-up candidates. So this is something that I had an idea for in the early days. I had a friend who was going through the hiring process and it really clicked with me when he told me the story of how he did it. He was so methodical. He did like six interviews. He rated all the candidates and then he like hired this person that he was super passionate about. And then he was telling me about the final two candidates and he was so happy with where he went. And I was like, well, why didn't you choose? Keep in mind, he'd reviewed like 100 applications. He had done the six interviews. It'd take him like a whole week. And I was like, well, why didn't you hire the second person? And the answer was, 
oh, well, she lives on the West Coast, and I would prefer someone who lived on the East Coast. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> you didn't hire her because you live on the West Coast? And I thought, well, this runner-up candidate, this woman is a rock star, and she was discriminated against because of her time zone. I mean, I'm sure I can find somebody who doesn't mind somebody on the West Coast. And, and now, so we're baking in all that value there of this type of entrepreneur with this sort of job opening valued this person very highly. And so, you know, that's one of the ways we can sort of, you know, leverage all that intelligence and try to deliver that candidate into a new company. Which by the way is just for a long time being called recruiting and staffing. Like this is what they do. <laughs> yeah. It sounds silly, right, Dan? But we're actually like learning about that through our process. So like we had a vision we went out, we started doing this, and then we learned about recruiting and staffing through that and like what happens to runner up candidates. And, you know, what you're talking about, the West Coast bias, you know, that person is very valuable, so valuable that they made it to the number two spot in this company. And it just turned out that that bias didn't happen to work out. But that bias is real for that company. Like that's a real constraint for that company. Doesn't mean that that person isn't valuable. But this is actually the reason why we pivoted from a job board to basically a placement service. Because on a job board, there's hundreds, if not thousands of jobs posted there. But the applicants only exist on their own computer and on that application. Like They don't exist in some kind of database on that job board and get filtered over to another job, basically what recruiters do, right? That's kind of the nexus of our product right now, keeping that candidate and pushing them over to another opportunity. Okay. So can I interrupt you to move on to our fourth point, which is, I think you're dishing the lead on the fourth point here, boss man. Yep. So the fourth point is people want action, not possibility. What made me think of this one is just exactly what you were describing there with our database. What do we mean by people want action, not possibility? Early on in our process, and still, we have a place on our website where you can go and you can fill out all your information. And that means that you're going to be added to our database. So instead of applying to a job, you just input all your information. Then we look at it. And then we send you positions that you might be qualified for, essentially. That's like a possibility. And it works, by the way. I mean, we've had 2,000 people basically fill out a LinkedIn profile, something akin to a LinkedIn profile that describes to us things that we think are useful to place them in remote companies. So it, it worked. It's working. It totally works. And it might become the most important page on the site. I'm not sure yet. But that's possibility, right? So it's like, if I fill this out, maybe sometime in the future, like I'll get a job or I'll get a call or like something will happen. Yeah. And then the other side of it is action. So it's like when you apply for a job, there's not only possibility, but there's action. So it's like there's a next step. Like I got a call. I didn't get a call. Something will come next. Whether you'll get denied, you'll get accepted, whatever it might be. I think that the difference, Dan, is just like understanding why people want an action versus like a possibility. Coming to a website and saying like sign up for like the chance to go to Disney World or the chance to like win this cruise <laughs> versus like sign up and this will happen. The reason this became an insight that we're listing here is that once we started bringing all the applications on site, 
and running all the applications through our system rather than sending people offsite like a job board would do. And by the way, the sell-through rate or whatever, like the, the conversion rate, a candidate's going to random websites all the time, you know, ThoughtCo or XYZ Remote Co. You're not going to get as much conversion than if you have a steady partner like Dynamite Jobs where you're... So this is one of the things we realized. We brought everything on board and by then following the way candidates apply to jobs and taking that information and making a database profile from them, we've had a lot more success. We're getting better information and we're getting a lot more information from a lot more candidates. So that's sort of the punchline here is that when we were just doing old school surveying, it wasn't nearly as good as actually just monitoring the behavior of users and then using that as their profile. And one of the ways we do that is just like, we follow up with people. So if we see that people got to the interview stage, we ask them how it went. And then we ask the entrepreneur how it went. And then that becomes part of their database profile. So this person is the runner up to this particular type of job. Heaven forbid they live on the West Coast. <laughs> Today's show is sponsored by Ahrefs. For a lot of our listeners, Ahrefs is already your number one go-to tool for optimizing SEO search traffic results. And this year, they have dramatically improved their Keywords Explorer by rebuilding it from scratch using new technology. Ahrefs' new Keywords Explorer 3 gives users access to data not just from Google, but from nine more important search engines, including YouTube, Amazon, and Bing. For SEOs and content marketers, that means you can really maximize exposure for your work or business. Pretty cool. Remember that Ahrefs is not just about backlinks. It's actually a full suite of SEO tools, kind of like a Swiss army knife of search engine optimization, something that you never want to be without. So whether you need to run a technical site audit, do competitor research, or identify high-value keyword opportunities, Ahrefs is the tool you need, something I so wish I had back in my days as an SEO. Check them out at ahrefs.com. That's Ahrefs. And big thanks to Ahrefs for sponsoring the show. In our final insight, Ian, some processes without a change in technology will continue to take the same amount of time. Something you alluded to earlier in the episode, and it's kind of a complex point. I think the complexity that we're going to describe here suggests that we don't fully understand it. But I think that every entrepreneur can relate to sometimes you just can't work harder and make problems go away or make your business grow faster. Like sometimes there's a natural rhythm to the feedback loops, to the velocity of the type of cash flow you're dealing with. And it might just depend on very entrenched, simple things like, People have to come to work and open up their email in order to respond to emails. And so, you know, you can work as hard as you want all night long and invest all the money on your ad campaigns, but you still got to wait for people to respond to things. And there are areas of business where you don't have to wait, for example, and there's a lot that do. And the point here is that you can't always just work harder or spend more money and expect to speed everything in your business up. Specifically, Dan, I want to talk about this point as it relates to like hiring because we're basically going to start going head to head at some point with these companies that swear they have like AI technology around hiring. By the way, a side joke of that, I remember looking at this one competitor who said they had AI and I was like, 
first off, I was like, bullshit. They do not have AI. I just know that it's bullshit. And then the second thing is I was sitting there with our colleague, you know, and I was looking at him and he was looking at me and I was like, wait a second. Do you think AI is better than us? (laughs) Like, (laughs) we should be better than AI right now. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) It's a new marketing ploy in hiring that AI is going to solve these problems for us, right? Like, we're going to find out where this candidate like grew up, the street that they grew up on. We're going to figure out like who their friends were. We're going to like connect them through Facebook. And then we're, we're going to like see what kind of car they drive. And like, boom, it's a perfect culture fit. Like we don't even have to interview this person. And then they come in to the office and then they do something absurd. Then you're like, wow. I just think it's fun to watch these companies say they have this new technology. But really, I think that hiring is one of these things, Dan, that has been hard to do for a long time and it's still hard to do. And I actually don't think that there is a technology that exists right now that I've seen at least that's making it easier. All this comes from like this idea that in the early days we were like, hey, in seven days guaranteed you'll find somebody. And what we realized is like, hey, founders want to interview people and those interviews take time. And so the seven days thing is out the window, basically. There's just certain things like that there are natural time constraints in a business. And you got to make that decision when you encounter them, like, am I going to be the disruptor here? Number one. Number two, am I going to just quit on this and figure out something that has more velocity, which is a very common approach, by the way, and one that can typically be a very good one. You can say like, you know, I think about it, for example, with like corporate sales cycles, for example, you could say, man, it's going to take me six months to land a client. Often a very good response to that is to say, well, I'm just not going to sell to corporations then. I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. In our case, we're finding ways to work around it and to accept that time frame into the business for the time being. I want to make my final point. The fundamental shift in my mind that's changed in uh, hiring in terms of like technology is the fact that we can all work remotely now as information workers. Now, you can't work remotely like in, in a factory yet or anything like that. I believe, Dan, that's the technology that's changed is that you actually have the ability to work remotely now. That's the paradigm shift. It's not actually that the hiring process is much different. It's not that our database is going to be much better than anyone else's. It's that we have access to these people that know how to work remotely and we know how to connect them to companies that want this as well. Well, I think there's going to be a shift that is already happening that we could play a role in, which is employees as a consumable. Like we've often talked about like how isn't it interesting that there's all these like services popping up for things that you used to have to do in-house. You know, that was like a trend over the last couple decades. And well, now isn't it interesting that you can get freelancers and virtual assistants and you can go to like upwork.com and you can just hire somebody to do a project or whatever. I really think that like the marketplaces could become flipped. If I were to say, hey, there's a young person that lives in a secondary city that doesn't mean to make a ton of money, but really wants to work directly with a founder. They have a marketing focus and they really want to get in on the ground floor of a cool remote company. And they're willing to work for $2,200 a month. Doing this specific thing. Exactly. Like say they're willing to like manage all your Facebook campaigns and do your content marketing plus do the frontline customer service. Yeah. We could just go through all these different like prototypes of people. And if that person actually existed, I'm willing to bet there's a lot of listeners of the show right now that are like, man, if I knew that person existed and was willing to start working next week, I would say, yes, like I have that money. The problem is in the definitional work, right? 
or the the headaches that you get if you go to these freelancer sites and dealing with the problems that come with that. But the freelancer sites are on to something, which is employment as a consumable. Something, in other words, it's the job boards get flipped, and the candidates are auctioning themselves off. It's like, hey, I'm I'm looking for a two to three year horizon career with a remote company. I got an operational focus. Here's my personality. Here's what I'm all about. Like, who's going to step up to the plate and hire me? I mean, that's one of the things that we've been kicking around is inverting this marketplace. One of the things we're kicking around, but also just like educating entrepreneurs about the opportunities out there. So if you knew, for example, that like you're one job out away from getting a $1,500 a month Facebook ads manager or social ads manager, and like that was a thing that existed in the world that you could invest in, I think people are going to start stepping up to the plate. And that's one of the cool things about this business. And you can tell I'm a little bit excitable right now, which is that these job categories are brand new. Like these careers didn't exist five years ago. This is a term I've been kicking around and internally. I call it the $2,000 operator. And in my mind, like in our small little community, this person has replaced VAs. When we first started this podcast, the whole thing was like, man, go to the Philippines, go to like Eastern Europe, whatever, like go to your country of choice, country du jour, and hire a $500 VA. The promise of that really never quite got fulfilled in our community. And this is the story of the Tropical MBA, actually, which was what actually happened was people that wanted to work remotely were better and they were willing to work for less. Those are the people that are staffing the TMBA style businesses now. They're not VAs. This is not companies run by VAs. It's companies run by $2,000 operators. And of course, they don't all make $2,000. But as you start to flesh out this concept and it becomes a thing that we know about and you know where to find them and you know how to purchase and invest in that, you know, it's certainly been game changing for these sort of early pioneering type of businesses. But I think those people are the future. All right, Ian. So to recap, the five insights we've had is the most profitable marketplace isn't the one we're good at. Number two, paid customers are more valuable than customers that get it for free. Number three, customers aren't valuing what we thought they would. Number four, people want action, not possibility. And number five, some processes without a change in tech will continue to take the same amount of time. Maybe we could call that velocity as a constraint in your business or time as a constraint. What we want to do now is we're going to share some stats about Dynamite Jobs at the end of the episode. But first, I thought we've been in this position where we've seen so many hires happen over the last few months that we're starting to see some themes about how this can get messed up for entrepreneurs. So if you're growing your remote team, some things to think about and to avoid. Number one is that this episode, Dynamite Jobs, and this opportunity wouldn't exist if entrepreneurs knew how to market their company effectively and define their culture. Now, why entrepreneurs don't do this is is obvious to me. It's expensive. It's difficult. Most of us can't even do it for our products, Ian. That's the reality. Is Most small businesses never get to the point where they have an effective marketing funnel. Yep. They just stay forever in the sales, on the phone, in-person referral mode. Because getting to a point where you can distill your message such that people can move through it and understand what's going on 
is so very difficult. The reality is, is that the same sort of marketing is required to get great people into your team. We've come across a couple of these companies that we've tried to basically hire for them. And they're like, F no, we know exactly what we're doing. There's no way that you could possibly know more about our culture than we know. And like, we want to control that 100%. And you go to their sites and it is clear, like people seek out these companies to go work for them. They're like, oh yeah, one day I'm going to work for this company. Well, think about it. It's almost like an experience to go through the hiring process. And that's like the gold standard. The gold standard is like, I applied to Harvard. And here's what the process was like, or I applied to Google, or I applied to be a CIA agent. And people have stories of what that experience is like and why they wanted to be a part of that culture. And most importantly, and simply for the takeaway of entrepreneurs listening today, they got (laughs) follow-up. Like they were thanked for applying. They got told whether they got hired or not. Maybe they even got feedback on why they didn't get hired. That's invaluable for candidates. And it's rare, right? It's rare to apply to a company that actually knows what they want. I mean, most of these companies that are putting jobs out, they barely know that they need that position filled. If companies actually knew how to market themselves, their opportunities, their products, their companies, they wouldn't need us. People would come to them, but that's not the case. I'd say that's like less than 1% of the companies out there know how to do this. And this is something that we've talked about since the beginning of time because we actually learned how to do this pretty early with the Tropical MBA. I mean, most of the jobs that we filled in the last 10 years have come from us putting up a blog post at the Tropical MBA and having people apply and hiring them from there. That's very rare. Like most people, they go to someplace like dynamitejobs.co. And enormously expensive, right? Like, yeah, going to Dynamite Jobs is 500 bucks. Building the Tropical MBA is a lot, is super expensive. But here's one clear takeaway that everybody can start doing today is everybody's dropping the ball in terms of setting expectations for how people should apply and how people should present themselves. Even things as formatting, like you know how you want them to present the information, it slows up the whole process. Mm-hmm. So streamlining that is a big opportunity for us, and but also for every entrepreneur to just have laser clear expectations and ideally simple. How can you ask the least to separate the wheat from the chaff, right? It's not like write a whole cover letter and make a five-minute video. And it's like, maybe save that for the second phase, you know? Like the first phase is like, what's something simple that people can present to you that you can make a decision about whether they're to the next level or not? And this is difficult, but important, you know? So point being like hiring managers should make it more clear how their candidates should present themselves. I think in the past, Dan, it was like more clear when it was in person, right? Yeah. If you're like, hey, we're like a pretty casual company and like homeboy shows up in flip-flops, you're like, dude, not that casual, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And the guy shows up in a three-piece suit and you're like, man, you're really trying to overcome something here. Like, I get it. Like, you're an overachiever. It might have been like a little bit more obvious like in the past because that process was pretty obvious. Now, the process isn't so obvious, right? It's like, oh, I have a YouTube channel. I have a Facebook channel. I have my own website. I have Twitter. I have all this stuff. Like, what's important? It's like we're taking that old paradigm and entrepreneurs just are doing hiring the same way they always did it. And it's just not good enough. And this is related to our second screw up, Ian, which is compensation is so much bigger than just a number. When you're posting an old school job ad on Craigslist and you're in, you know, say the San Diego metro area and it's like entry level marketing, you know, I'm going to pay $35,000 a year and like here's the tasks. And it's just this lazy approach. It works when people are confined to a geographic location and 
everybody understands what marketing means and everybody gets like where $35,000 is going to get you. And it just doesn't work online. Let's slow down here for a second because I think this is actually a bigger point than we're probably making it. So there's a change that happened with remote work and that's essentially that there are advantages that might be bigger for some people than financial gains. So, you know, a job that's worth $35,000 in San Diego, well, the opportunity to work remote from wherever you want for $35,000 presents a whole new set of opportunities. Like you might only have to work four days a week because you're getting paid potentially less than your coworker in San Diego. You might get the opportunity to go to retreats. You might get the opportunity to get five plane tickets a year. I mean, whatever the compensation package might be, you get to work directly with the CEO. There's all these different types of benefits now that I think remote companies can offer that don't come in the form of compensation. This is actually something, Dan, that I think our companies had to consider and a lot of these companies that are only hiring remote are going to have to consider, which is, yes, you know, we don't have a physical office. Yes, we have a different corporate structure. Yes, our overhead is different than our competitors. So what are some of the ways that we can offer our employees the benefits of that? I think it's going to present a whole new set of opportunities, but then also compromises and problems for both the employers and the employees. One example is like the agenda of a lot of remote workers. Sometimes it can come down to something like, my spouse is moving across the country and I want to be with them. Or like, I want to take care of my kids. Or I want to party in Bali, right? There's all these different kind of like lifestyle motivations for why people want to do this stuff as well. And they're baking that into that comp package in their minds. Yeah, but I don't think companies have gotten really good at like explaining that compensation package. And that this goes like hand in hand with the culture point that we made before, which is like these are new types of companies, these remote companies. And we just all don't understand our culture yet. And we don't understand how these compensation packages are going to work. But what we do know is that there's something that people value more than compensation. And that's some of these other tangential things like lifestyle, travel, et cetera. And they're willing to take less for it. Right. This is something that people need to think about. Speaking of things that we don't understand is our third point of things that are are getting a little bit messed up in this process, which is that there's an enormous difference between those who've had remote work experience and those who have not. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to polarize the audience and put half the people on one side and half the people on the other side, this is really where we draw the line right now, which is that how to be a remote worker is a really complex thing. How to be a remote entrepreneur is a really complex thing for that matter. I mean, we've done 10 years of podcasting about it. It can be hard to pluck somebody out of the corporate life and introduce them into these remote companies that are less clearly defined. Everybody wants to work remote. That's the punchline. I think if you ask most people, maybe it would come down to, well, yeah, of course I would like to work remote, but you know, I have this constraint or that constraint versus the people that have worked remote. Well, yeah, I, I worked remote for three years when I lived in Bali. I think what we're seeing and what we've known for a long time hiring ourselves, Dan, is that the person that knows how to work remote is way more valuable than the person that wants to work remote. And that's because there's like all these factors that go into maintaining a lifestyle of remoteness, 
You know, it's like, what do you do when your desk is virtual? What do you do when you're always moving around? Like these types of challenges, they take, I think they take years to figure out how to be efficient at them. You know what a big one is, Ian? How do you stay happy? A lot of people basically like they become friends with the people they work with. Totally. Remote work can be really isolating. When the social apex of your day is like sitting in a Starbucks, that can be problematic for people. There's a lot of these sorts of things that are like, that'll take you some time to to even notice it. And meanwhile, like they're thrust into a new job and trying to figure out like where their apartment's going to be and they're sitting in Starbucks and it all adds up to poor job performance, (laughs) which is really what we're focused on. So those are the three ways, Ian, that this is getting messed up. Hopefully we can help to solve them. Ian, before we go, I wanted to leave you with some stats. Let's hear them. So the first one, Ian, is our number one key progress indicator or KPI. The focused metric in Dynamite Jobs business right now is placements. A placement is when we make a successful match and that person goes to work for the company. If you recall, Ian, our goal is to be at 40 a month, 40 placements a month by the summertime. Ooh, I'm sweating and it's not even summer, dude. Do you have an idea of where we're at right now? Eight. You're at eight, yeah. It's in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have done this differently. <laughs> we're at eight placements a month right now. What's the over-under on us getting to 40 by the summer? I think it's pretty ambitious, but... You know, the cool thing about this database, candidate database, is that we are tracking the people that don't get placed because they lived on the West Coast or whatever. And so, like, as the database grows, like, it gets easier and easier to place people. So, it's one of those things, I wouldn't say it's like an exponential curve, but it's definitely not linear. It'll be interesting to see where we go with that KPI, Ian. The next stat, I think, is your least favorite. It's revenue. Currently, we're at $1,500 a month. I'd say it's actually my favorite stat. It's your least favorite stat. What is that? It's the one that we probably argue about the most. (laughs) It's like, should we charge this person? Should we not charge this person? Right. I'm like, let's make blogs, not money. Let's make podcasts, not money. (laughs) If you go back to the (laughs) earlier parts of this episode, you actually recommended charging people. So I just want to point out that our number two KPI here as a lagging indicator of your advice That's basically been the long-term internal dispute between Ian and myself. He comes to the strategy meeting saying, hey guys, we're running a business here. Maybe we should charge people money for the things that we do. And then I'll say, what is that all about? What is this guy? Where's he coming from? (laughs) Need more practice. Number three stat, Ian, is that we have a 57% placement rate right now. So that means, Ian, for every job that we post on the site, 57% of them get fulfilled by one of those candidates in our database. And then the failure rate is due to candidates getting placed from other websites similar to Dynamite Jobs or by canceled jobs. So hopefully we'll get that 57% rate up as our candidate database gets more efficient. A lot of our clients now, Ian, they still post on multiple sites. They'll post on multiple sites and also... We used to post every job. Now we're getting much more picky about the jobs that we actually post on the site. Yeah. So there's going to be a couple of different factors that lead to that number changing. 
So hopefully we can get the 57% way up by the next time we do these numbers. Number four stat, this is shocking to me. We only have a 10% penetration into the DC community. What that means is a couple things. Number one, marketing is hard. Exposure is hard. So for all the entrepreneurs out there struggling to get their message heard, I hear you. I mean, we're in a really excellent position. We have a community. We have events where we go up there and we talk about dynamite jobs. But the reality is only one in 10 DCers. That's paid customers of Ian and myself. Business owners. They're business owners. We've offered free recruiting services to them, free job postings, free promotional services. Only one in 10 has yet taken us up on this. Can't even market to our own customers, man. Can't even market to our own customers. I mean, it's, it's amazing how poorly we're doing here. This is a shocker and it's got to change. So number four, only 10% penetration in the DC community. Number five, 75% of our candidate database is North American based. North American based three and four. This trends higher than the podcast listenership. This trends higher than DC membership. This is an interesting stat. It just jumped off the paper to me. I, I didn't expect that it to be so North American based. Them's the numbers. Them's the numbers. All right, Dan. Well, I'm looking forward to revisiting these stats and probably adding some more. I'll tell you one thing. I'll be seeing my inbox. People have been saying, hey, man, it's cool that you guys are so jacked about this. You can hear the excitement that you guys are excited about working on Dynamite Jobs. And part of me feels guilty about talking about our own shiz all the time on the show. For me, it was like there was like something easier about talking about cat furniture back in the day because I knew that nobody listening to the podcast would ever be interested in buying our cat furniture. It was obvious to me. (laughs) I had seen the demographic. It was not the same, but because there's so much demographic overlap, and I know that a lot of listeners could use Dynamite Jobs, I felt a little less comfortable talking about it, but I'm kind of over it now. It's just is what it is. It's what we're doing. We're jacked about it. And also, like it's really fun. It's a fun thing to find talented people and to plug them into cool companies. Totally. And you know... If you've been listening to this podcast for the last 10 years, this is essentially what we've been talking about for the last 10 years is like how to find talented people around the world to help you run your business. And so I feel like a lot of continuity with this, Dan. Yeah. And like in person, it's been really cool too, or on the phone or via email because, you know, people ask us for business advice all the time. And I love that. I love, you know, brainstorming sessions and advice, but I never quite felt comfortable like charging for advice. But man, I love charging for hiring advice. All of a sudden, it's, man, we can really make a difference. We can put somebody in your company. So like, who do you need? What are you looking for? I've been doing some coaching on like some of entrepreneurs we've been working with. It's like, how do you interview people? Here are the two candidates. How would you decide between two of them? And like these sorts of things, it's like, man, I have a lot to contribute here because I've been through this process a hundred times. And so that's been really exciting for me personally. So yeah, I am, I am personally excited about this very much. Awesome. See you on the golf course, man. All right, buddy. We'll see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class 
on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.